and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. So, Rick, we have uh, the week here. This is really, I think, in some ways, the dawn of the Trump era. We've had uh, President Obama's farewell address, and we had the first press conference from Donald Trump as president-elect, and we've heard from his, you know, top, most of his top uh, cabinet picks in their confirmation hearings. What, what do you make more, of it all? We've learned more in the last couple of days about the Donald Trump presidency, maybe than we did during the, the course of the, the entire campaign. And some of it is wacky because this has been... Wait, wait, what do you mean by wacky? It's been a wild ride. That news conference that you were at, John, just, just the starter of it, the meandering opening statement, the props, the lawyers interrupting for 15 minutes. The halftime show with the, the lawyer? <laughs> the yeah. halftime show. The, the pre-game with, with, uh, with uh, Sean Spicer and, and, and the vice president. And some post-game with the media, with, the, with CNN and BuzzFeed being called fake news. That, we learned about the, the business arrangements uh, and this wild scandal of a story that in Involves this uh, secret uh, Russian dossier that's been uh, that's been circulating around in intelligence circles for a while that Donald Trump and, and Barack Obama were both presented with coming in as, as kind of a, a late stage to all of this and, and more fodder for the confirmation hearings it, in the, the question of Russia and uh, whether the nominees are going to pass all of it tied up in the in the person of this very strange I think it's fair to say president elect never trust something called a dossier, by the way. Why not? Do you I, just, I, I don't know. Just something, just something, something <laughs> dodgy about a dossier. That actually overstates what it was. I mean, it looked yeah, like Yeah, it wasn't awful. a dossier. It, it, it was but, like some wacky. But here's the thing. Nobody knows what, what to believe or not to believe. It was actually out there. And it gets at the, the questions of Russia, which have, which have dogged Donald Trump from the start. I've spent a little bit of time in Russia doing some reporting for ABC News, including that wonderful uh, re-election campaign that Putin ran back <laughs> in 2004. My, my favorite campaign I've ever covered. Uh, I was just there for the you know for the closing week of it, and man, what a show that was! He knew he knew how to pick his opponents. That was the great <laughs> thing about uh, about Vladimir Putin as a, as a as a as a candidate. But one thing, you, you, the Russians love conspiracy theories and rumors, and everybody's got something, you know. Yeah. I mean, and the wilder, the crazier, you know. I mean, there's all kinds of theories about Putin's rise to power. Um, it's really hard to 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 tell fact from fiction. I mean, you feel like you're going into a I know Kafka was Czech, not Russian, but you feel like you're going into, uh, you know, the trial or something. So what is this then? I mean, which which Russian novelist would you would you put this one on? This is the the strange confluence of events that that overhang uh, this this inauguration that's now a week out. Uh, John, I, I want you to talk about that news conference first of all because yeah. you got one of the first questions uh, out of that. The the scene looked just extraordinary, and uh, you've ever covered a news conference quite like that one? Uh, well, certainly not a presidential news conference. Uh, here it was in the atrium. of of Trump Tower. That in and of itself was just something else to see. Uh, you know, you had, they, they've got the podium, they've got the, you know, it says the president-elect, the, the whole scene. But you had the 300 people in there. You heard scattered applause at various parts during the, the press conference because you had, you know, a lot of Trump's staff was there. You know, most of the senior staff was, was standing off to the side, including Rudy Giuliani, by the mm. way, which was interesting. Also, employees of Trump Tower. So it had a little bit of a rally feel, even though, you know, it was there uh, for the reporters. Also, I've grown accustomed, and I've never liked it, by the way, but I've grown accustomed to presidential press conferences where the president comes out and has a list of reporters he's going to call on. Mm. And, you know, 
George W. Bush made no bones about looking down and reading and saying, okay, now we're going to go to, you know, uh, so-and-so, Ron Fournier over here with the AP. And he, he would read. And, right. and, you know, Bush would kind of know the names. Obama brings and he reads from the names that have been given to him by the press secretary. And he sometimes doesn't even know who these people are. Right. You know. Um, and Trump gets out there and it's just like, who knows who's yeah. going to get called on? He's just, it's almost like an auction. People are raising their hands, standing up, trying to get attention. I got called on early on, but you know who was called on right after me? Who's that? Cheddar. <laughs> Cheddar. Yes. Now, you know what Cheddar is, Jonathan but I've never Steinberg heard of a news organization it, it, called it, Cheddar. Jonathan Steinberg, my, my old college friend at Cheddar, was, was called on, as a matter of fact, at that news conference. And, yeah, I don't think that was on the list. I had a Cheddar cheese thing on a flag on his microphone. I don't think that was on the list. No, it, it's all – the meandering opening statement, I mean, there, there was not a message that he was looking to deliver. It was just go answer he a bunch had, of questions. There was so much news in that press yeah, conference, yeah. Rick. There was so much news. I mean, he, you know, at one point he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, I've got a, I've got a Veterans Affairs uh, got a cabinet uh, secretary, secretary I'm going to nominate. Let me look here. Where's his name? Okay. I, heard, I mean, he, he was just doling out all kinds of things, fighting with the press, uh, told us he was going to pass re- replace of Obamacare within an hour, possibly, right. of, 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 of repeal. And an absolutely no indication of what that means. I mean, so I think the, the filter we have to apply to all of these is, you know, what are the two or three stories of substance that will linger for a while? What was on that list for you out of that out of that news conference? You got the business deals and that and that relationship. The fact that there isn't really a, a separation that's a big one, right? Yeah. Now that was originally what this press conference was supposed to be about when it was to be back in December, and then it became something more than that. Um, the 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 business dealings will be a story that will last as long as the Donald Trump presidency. Yeah. And he took a series of steps to try to minimize conflict of interest. Uh, the near-unanimous opinion of ethics watchdogs who deal with this kind of stuff was that it does not go far enough. Um, he did not announce that he was going to divest himself of his assets. He did not announce uh, a blind trust. Uh, but he did he did announce some steps. I mean, he's turning over the company to his two adult sons. Um, he's going to uh, the the company is not going to do any more foreign new new foreign deals. He said they've canceled thirty deals that were already underway. Did uh, new domestic deals, and he said with, no to a two billion dollar deal. Well, oh, that was amazing. He, he, he said that he had weekend. this two billion dollar offer from Dubai, which sounded like a weird you know bribe right. uh, being offered to the new incoming president and. He said he could have taken it. He could have taken it. What's and he decided not to. So he, in the goodness of his heart, he he blew off two billion dollars. Would you have done that, Rick? Uh, you know, it'd be a gut check. I got to tell you, um, that would be a tough one. But I I think that's a telling point because in terms of how Donald Trump plans to approach his own business relationships, he believes, and the advice to people that he's been given by people around him. That he doesn't have to do anything. He can do anything he wants because there's no such thing as a conflict of interest when it comes to the president of the United States. Now, it's different for the which people is, which around. Is, which is actually – For him, yes. In, 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 in one sense, true. The, the, what was the, 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 the law that, that guides a conflict of interest uh, uh, for executive branch employees does not apply to the president or the vice president. Right. He added that uh, Mike Pence probably didn't have as much to worry yeah, about. Yeah, poor Mike. Yeah. But, but it does apply, of course, to people around him, his employees, uh, the, the, even the executive branch employees. Jared, uh, Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner, uh, his sons, and in, in terms of any official action that they would take. Uh, but it's really the honor system. And he is going to be the final arbiter of what he does and doesn't do. And if his kids decide to tell him about a deal in, in advance, then... There is the emoluments clause. Can you explain to us what that means again, uh, Rick? Of course. Everyone knows what emoluments are. Emoluments <laughs> are, are are something of value. Are there emoluments? Emoluments. Okay. Emoluments. Okay. It's, it's like... like 
like Altoids, another okay. kind of bit. Exactly. Uh, it's something of value that you're given in, in exchange for something. And from a foreign from a, government. Yes. That's, that is what the prohibition in the Constitution is getting anything from a foreign government. And, of course, he did outline any money that he makes through his business entities from foreign entities would go to the United States Treasury. I have to from think that's because – From foreign governments. That's right. From foreign – foreign entities, but foreign governments. Well, I guess anything with tie to the foreign government, yes. Uh, but we'll see how that works in practice. And so that means if the Philippines delegation comes in and stays at the Trump International Hotel on Pennsylvania Avenue, that the profits from the block of rooms would go to the Treasury. I presume that to be the case. But it's all self-policing, if it's policing at all. Which brings us to Congress, because another headline out of, out of this week, John, or the, the, the rocky road that some of these, uh, these cabinet appointments uh, have gone through, and h- how much distance we're seeing between some of these appointees and Donald Trump in his stated positions. You had them saying, we don't believe in the Muslim ban. You had them saying- Mattis. That, Mattis, as well as Jeff Sessions, saying they, they don't believe that. You had them saying that Russia is a clear threat. Uh, you had them- Mattis, say, Pompeo. That's right. Tillerson. You had, you had Mattis saying the Iran deal should be kept in place. You had Pompeo well, saying- Let's pause on that for a second. He, Mattis said the Iran deal should be kept in place because when the United States of America makes an agreement the world must trust the word of the United States of America. So there's a lot to unpack in that statement when you think about it. By the, the way, Trump that presidency. was a position that Donald Trump as a candidate for president had very early on. He went away from that. But there was a debate. You'll remember the exact date. I, I confess I don't. Where, where this came up and, and Ted Cruz, as he always does, says we're going to rip up that Iran deal on day one. And he and, said, no, you can't. And, not, and Donald Trump says, well, you can't really rip a deal up, but we can work all we can to try to improve it, this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, you can't just rip up a deal. But eventually Trump came around to saying we're going to rip up that Iran deal. And it, it raises an interesting question to me about how, how senators judge these nominations, because do you believe what the president-elect says or do you believe what a cabinet secretary says? And we're going to talk to some United States senators about this that are involved in these committees. But it, 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 there, there's actual distance there. And it's almost as if Trump said to his people or Trump's people said to his people, go say what you want to say. It doesn't really matter. Get yourself confirmed. That's what actually matters here. We'll deal with the policy later. It's almost as if Donald Trump doesn't have an ideology. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he, You know, the question is what happens with a guy like General Mattis if – he ends up fundamentally disagreeing with uh, the president on a key national security issue, an issue related to the U.S. military. He's Secretary of Defense. What does he do? Right. Does he resign? Does he, does he, it, does he resign? And, and what's the process for him to actually tell the president of the United States, this is, this is how I feel? Uh, another big headline, of course, Russia. And in response to your question, John, you got some news out of yeah. – uh, out, of the pres- out of the president-elect for the first time saying he did think that Russia was behind it. Then he seemed to walk it back a little bit. It's hard to, it's hard to tell, but it was... And I asked him point blank, but what about the finding that Russia did this because they, Putin aspired to have you elected president, and he did not dispute that at all and went on his riff about what's wrong with Putin likes me. If Putin likes Donald Trump, guess what, folks? That's called an asset, not a liability. And then... He said that, you know, come on, does anybody in this room think that, uh, that, that, that Hillary Clinton would be tougher on Russia than me? Actually, I think there are a lot of people in the campaign <laughs> that would have thought that. Um, but, uh, you know, but, and, uh, you know he, he evoked quite a, quite a response there. The other thing, though, is uh, our colleague Cecilia Vega 
got something that is a true first out of Donald Trump, which was basically an admonishment of Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. Can you stand here today once and for all and say that no one connected to you or your campaign had any contact with Russia leading up to or during the presidential campaign? And if you indeed do believe that Russia was behind the hacking, what is your message to Vladimir Putin right now? He shouldn't be doing it. He won't be doing it. Russia will have much greater respect for our country when I'm leading it than when other people have led it. You will see that. That's that's like as admonishments go. I, mean, I feel like I. I, I mean, so McCain says he's a thug and a murderer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, you could, you could have gone a little further, maybe. Then yeah, you're not going to do well, that, that again. Naughty, naughty, Vlad. Baby steps. Sure, I guess. I guess we're getting there. But maybe the intelligence briefings are are getting to him. And then, of course, his war, his war with the media and uh, in and labeling CNN and BuzzFeed fake news, tangling with Jim Acosta from CNN and and refusing to take a question from CNN. That must have been a tense moment in the room as well. Yeah, it was. I think that it's instructive that Trump has warred. I think next to CNN, that the news organization that he has warred most consistently with is the New York Times. New York Times, yeah, yeah. And he's granted two different interviews to the Times, like in the past ten days. Just calls them up last yeah. week, the Mer- right after the Meryl Streep thing happened, yeah. and then again on Obamacare a couple of days ago. He clearly has a lot of. Here's the other thing: he obviously watches CNN all the time. Despite he watches. He, about the, he's, he's one guaranteed viewer that CNN. That's has. right. <laughs> maybe 20 hours a day or so. But everything uh, except for Morning Joe, I think. And maybe tunes in the World News, I would assume. I would, I would hope most so. of America but does, it, but. It, it, the way it's going to work in this we just have to assume this is the way it's going to be, right? I mean, this is he, he's shown no indication of changing at any time and that this free One change I think we're going to see though yeah. is uh is is a, is a is a reverting back. He held a press conference. We noted that this was the first press conference that he's held since July. Right. I think that Donald Trump is going to hold a lot of press conferences. You think he had a good time? I think he loved every second of it. He completely dominated the news cycle. Uh, The president, the current president of the United States, had just done a big farewell address to much fanfare in Chicago. The minute that press conference started, nobody even remembered for a moment that Barack Obama was still president. I mean, it was like it was complete wall-to-wall coverage. I think this this is a person who has a candidate for the Republican nomination held press conferences on a almost daily basis. I mean, he was doing it a lot. Certainly, like, every week there'd be a press conference. I think we're going to see that. And the press conference looked a little bit more... You're going to laugh at me, and I, so I'll apologize <laughs> later for, for, for making this comparison. But, you know, you go back and you look at the uh, at, at John F. Kennedy, who held a press conference virtually every week. I know exactly what um, you're talking about. And, and, yes. he, and he held them in the, for the most part, in the theater of the uh, U.S. State Department building. And... These were, like the Trump press conference, freewheeling affairs. There were, you know, lots of people there. You know, he was calling on people all over the place. Um, I'm not going to laugh at you because for once you're right. Actually, I hadn't thought of that. But, yes, I've seen the clips. Uh, I wasn't in the briefing room for any of them. So I just compared Donald Trump to John Kennedy. No, you probably have to go back that far to find that kind of freewheeling exchange with the press. He took all comers and he was funny and charming and and, and disarming. Yeah, like the give and take. Wow, you're right. I hadn't thought of that. That's Every a really once in good a while, one. man. Every once in a while. Every once in a while. Well, I'm going to go one, one step further. And I was thought, as I, as I watched the events the last couple of days play out, I thought to back to Jeb Bush. You remember, mm. you remember which debate this is, where, where Jeb said he's the chaos candidate yeah. and he'll be the chaos president. This is chaos. Now, it, I remember it, when Jeb thought that was a real zinger. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> until, until Trump said something else five yeah. seconds later. Yeah. He, but he, he thrives off of creating that chaotic environment. And the way that, that news sparks flew off of that press conference at the same time that he had people all over Capitol Hill, at the same time that the Senate was moving and going to trying to repeal Obamacare, so many things have happened in such a condensed period of time. And Trump has that ability to drive the news cycle in so many different directions at once. He is one of the few that thrives off of that chaos. He doesn't seem to be one who wants to control it. It, 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 it will feel like the set of 24. And things are popping in all these different directions. And I actually think he's one of the few actors who thrives off of that environment. Okay, so you sat down, or at least you spoke with, you were sitting down, right? I was sitting down. Uh, with Al Franken, former uh, uh, SNL. Uh, you have to call him that first figure. anymore. I mean, he's a second-term senator now. You can't do something <laughs> else. You, and, and I'll, the, uh, yes. the junior senator from the state of Minnesota. That's right, Al Franken. 10,000 uh, likes. And, and, and Franken, Franken had, had uh, he's going to go down in history if, with his Russia story, is the first person to question anyone connected with the Trump uh, administration about the, uh, about the dossier. Uh, it, it, because it, it happened in real time while, during the Jeff Sessions hearing. Uh, so he had a lot to say about that, uh, and uh, it's been a, an emotional and rollicking week in the Senate. And we're happy to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota. And Senator, I know it's a very busy time, late nights, early mornings. Everything is, is sort of popping all at once, so we really appreciate you, you joining us here today. Well, my pleasure. Well, let's let's start with uh, some news earlier in the week. You were the first, because the news was breaking in the middle of the confirmation hearings, you were the first uh, individual, to my knowledge, to question anyone associated with the Trump transition operation about that Russian dossier that, that emerged publicly earlier this week, asking Senator Sessions about it. Russian operatives claim to have compromising personal and financial information about Mr. Trump. Senator Franken... I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I, just looking for an update since then, is there anything that you've learned in the last couple of days to suggest that anything in that dossier is, is based on fact? Is there's something, there's some there there after, after President-elect Trump denied it all yesterday? The, the um, you know, charges that they have these, uh, have something on him, uh, the, those, the, the specific things have not been substantiated. Um, the fact that they, um, you know, that it's an ac- it's accurate that uh, what I think we all know, which is that they got this British intelligence guy to um, had been doing oppo research for first Republican candidates, and then I guess for the Hillary campaign, and that he reported these things. And you know what's disturbing about and the reason I brought this up to Senator Sessions is that he was with the campaign and he wasn't a campaign operative he was a surrogate kind of so right. that's different uh, but the Russians had said um, you know uh, that th- right after the election that they had been meeting regularly with people from the campaign now you can't trust anything the Russians say <laughs> You can't, but on the other hand, it's really hard to trust anything that Donald Trump says. I mean, you know, he lost hundreds of friends in the World Trade Center, and I think that's been shown not to be true, that thousands of Muslims cheered when that went down. I mean, you can go through the litany, and you just, there's no reason uh, to believe any one 
thing he says. You know, he sent people to Hawaii to sure. check out uh, uh, Obama's. You know, the Obama's born in Kenya, or you know, whether he's born in Hawaii, and they, they found amazing things. Well, you know, he just you can't rely on on anything he says. Uh, so, um, my question to and and it doesn't seem like uh Senator Sessions talks to uh President elect Trump about much of anything because I mean I asked <laughs> I asked Senator Sessions whether he uh believed that there were over two point eight million fraudulent votes cast uh in the presidential election and he uh didn't have any any knowledge of that, but uh, I asked him if he, you know, he's nominated for attorney general. The attorney general is in charge of making sure that people get to vote. And you'd think that he might go like, wow, uh, that's a lot of fraudulent votes. That's something we really have to deal with. What's, where'd you get that, Mr. President-elect? And they haven't talked about it, yeah. No, I mean, so, uh, that you know, that's just one of the reasons I was, you know, very dissatisfied with the answers I was getting during the hearing. And, uh, it, but, you know, Trump was so positive toward Putin and toward Russia and has been that, uh, you know, you kind of have to wonder why and whether he has financial um, uh, relationships with Russian oligarchs. Um, I guess one of his sons at a conference in Russia says a lot of Russian money and, you know, involved a lot of Russian business. Um, when you don't release your taxes, that's a problem. So what do you think is going on? What what is the the what is Putin's play here? What is the Russian game? Do you think, based on what you've seen, what you've read, what you've heard so far? I don't know. I mean, there's a range of things, and um, part of the range could be there's no financial relationship. There was no coordination between Trump's campaign and uh, the Russians. The Russians have nothing on Trump. That's one range. <laughs> That's one end of the range. And the other end of the range is uh, just not not comfortable to even think about. Right. It's possible that they, that they have something even up to including what's in this dossier, is what you're saying. Or worse. Yeah. It could be even worse, you think. So what's, let's back up on Sessions for a second. I, I know you, you're saying you're disinclined to, to support him. One interesting thing I've, I've picked up in, in conversations that I've seen with a couple of senators recently uh, Senator Coons, for instance, was 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 talking on TV about uh, Rex Tillerson and say he's contemplating that others might be worse. Is that a factor in your mind? Should it be a factor that if you don't get Jeff Sessions, you're still going to get a Trump pick for attorney general and that the, the, the next choice could be someone that Democrats have more of an objection to? Well, I think that when you're thinking of these votes, you do think of things like that. And obviously, um, you know, there is a thing that you know elections have consequences right and that they get to nominate but we also have our job so you've got to weigh that though you got to weigh that like for example supreme court justice 
And that's why the Merrick Garland thing I thought was such a, a sin, because Merrick Garland was a consensus choice. He was someone that Republicans had supported. And what they did was unprecedented. And uh, I, I think that that's why this, when the uh, president-elect chooses someone, uh, makes a choice for this, it better be a, a, a consensus choice. Do you, do you, do you think Jeff Sessions gets confirmed? Um, you know, I think that he, uh, you know, I was tough on him. I think we could have been tougher, but I think he came out, um, you know, he did uh, a good job doing what he wanted to do. Now, I personally am very, very uh, unhappy with a number of things, especially on voting rights. And also, I, I there was a line of questioning where I do feel that Senator Sessions had um, exaggerated his role and, and misrepresented his role, his his career, his history, in terms of uh, civil rights. Uh, you, you brought up an interesting question about him saying that he didn't have any information about the uh, uh, about fraudulent votes. You also heard him break at least somewhat from President-elect Trump when it comes to the Muslim ban or a Muslim registry. We've also had nominees distance themselves from Trump on Russia, on torture. When you're looking at this as a senator, whose word counts? And are you struck by how many disagreements we're seeing between Trump nominees and President-elect Trump himself? Well, I think that's why some of my colleagues on judiciary really laid down markers and got him to agree to take certain positions or to respect certain laws. And uh, I think that he's under oath. And uh, so, so uh, I think uh, some of my colleagues had a slightly different agenda, which was to make sure that <clears throat> when he is attorney general, he'll set on the record under oath that, uh, you know, he will enforce things that um, he you know, may not necessarily have had to unless we had laid down those markers. What is the feeling right now on Capitol Hill? I'm struck. It, it seems dizzying to me, and I'm not running between hearings like you are and, and votes on, Voteramas on the floor, but it does seem like it is chaos. Is this the new normal? Is this something you have to adjust to? And what's the mood been like on Capitol Hill with this dizzying array of activity and press conferences and tweet storms and, and hearings that are all happening at the same crush with this new administration coming in? Uh, I, I'm afraid it may be the new normal. Um, you know, I, I watched uh, just a teeny bit of. I, I was I was in hearings for the news conference for the press conference that the uh, president elect had, but from what I've seen of it, th this is he he certainly hasn't um, changed. <laughs> since the election and since, I guess, when was the last one he did in June or whatever July, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it's just, um, it's just, you know, for me, I mean, I, you know, we lost and we lost for, you, a whole, you can point to a whole bunch of reasons and one of them, you know, is Comey and one of them's hacking and, one of them is, you know, there's a lot of uh, reasons we lost, but he, he won, so I guess he knew something I didn't know. Uh, but, and so I'm constantly going like, I can't believe this on one hand. And on the other hand, 
um, maybe he knows something I don't know. And maybe this is what, you know, uh, I know certain people respond very well to the, the to what he does. To me, that press conference was disturbing. We'll let you get back to the huddle and figure out what yep. the next play is. Senator Al Franken, Democrat from Minnesota, we thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Rick. Bye. We've got a new podcast to tell you about. It is No Limits with ABC News Chief Business Technology and Economics Correspondent Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, she sits down with the most influential women in business and entertainment to find out what's been the key to their success. Again, that's No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Find it wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Now, back to the show. All right, we're joined now by Senator Angus King, independent from the great state of Maine. Senator King, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you guys. So you, you had an, an interesting moment this week, uh, the, the hearing with, uh, with, with James Comey, uh, where you, you were trying to ask him about, um, uh, <laughs> about the Russia issue and, and, and the state of the investigation. I, I want to play that exchange. Mr. Comey, did you answer Senator Wyden's question that there is an investigation underway as to connections between either of the political campaigns and the Russian uh, Russians? I didn't say one way or another. You didn't say that there. That was my one, intention, at least. You didn't say one way or another whether even there's an investigation underway. Correct. I don't, especially in a public forum, we never confirm or deny a pending investigation. The irony. I'm not, of, I'm not saying the you, irony of your making that statement here. I cannot. Uh, avoid but i'll move on so uh senator king you 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 were you know obviously uh alluding to the fact that uh that that uh, the fbi director had no problem uh commenting about an investigation uh 11 days before the election i've got a question for you now there's this new development the department of justice uh inspector general has announced an investigation into how comey handled that whole issue the investigation of the uh, of the emails, the decision to hold the big press conference in July when he was not going to uh, uh, indict, and his decision to release uh, that letter eleven days before the election is that the, is that a, is that the right move for the Department of Justice? Well, I think it's it, you need to understand it's not really the Department of Justice; it's the uh, Inspector General, uh, which is a independent uh, office that's in a lot of federal agencies in order to uh, look into conduct uh, within the agency. So it's not really a Justice Department decision, as I understand it. It's right, it's an independent general. watchdog kind of a thing, right? Right, exactly. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's an important question, but uh, I have to be honest, there's so much else going on. It, it, uh, it seems like history at this point. I'm not, I'm not sure where it, where it goes, but uh, uh, I suppose it will be an interesting uh, exercise uh, for historians to know what the background of that decision was. What, what's your sense? Do, do you, do you, as 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 a, as a U.S. senator, uh, have continued to have faith in the FDI, FBI director? And and what what's your? Do you think he survives the the the, the Trump? Obviously, obviously, the FBI director serves a ten year term, but he can be he can be fired by the president. Correct. I'm not sure of that, actually. I, I, I think he has some protections, uh, but uh, this, that's, a, that's a really tough question because I, I have worked fairly closely with, with uh, Director Comey as a member of the Intelligence Committee, so I've 
questioned him, I don't know, a dozen times probably or more. I've interacted with him, talked to him. I've never had any social interaction with him. Uh, what I can tell you about him is that he's sort of the ultimate Boy Scout. Uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. He's an absolutely straight arrow. And I think what happened was he had made this commitment to Congress that he would keep them informed when he told them that the Hillary Clinton investigation was, was closed in the summer. And then he felt this obligation to let them know when there was additional evidence. I think, in retrospect, it was a poor decision because he was talking about an ongoing investigation. In my view, the response should have been, uh, we'll look into it, and if there's something to it, we'll report it. But if there's nothing if there's nothing to it, there's no need to report it. I think he was very much afraid that eventually it would come out, that the information was there, and he would be accused of, of covering something up. But... Uh, Clearly, it was a, a very uh, uh, important element uh, in the election. So now about that, about that, the ongoing investigations or what might be out there, and I know there's things that you can't talk about because, because of your role in the Intelligence Committee because you hear about behind closed doors, but you only got eight days left, and your colleague Senator Wyden raised the concern that if there is indeed an active investigation and information the FBI is developing, even beyond this sketchy dossier that was developed by the, the former British intelligence agents uh, as, a, as opposition research. If there was a real connection between uh, the, the Trump campaign and the, the Russian government, do you fear that we'll never learn about it because Trump is going to be president in eight days? Does it all go away? Well, uh, I think that's a legitimate question, but I think there's too much, too much, uh, there are too many people of integrity in the government uh, particularly in the, these are professional agencies, the FBI, the CIA. Uh, I think in the CIA, out of 20,000 employees, there may be five political appointees. So uh, I'd, I think it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for a, for a presidential administration to shut down uh, an investigation of this nature. I mean, ask Richard Nixon if you can mm. shut it down. I, I just don't think I just don't think it's possible uh, and I think it would be really unfortunate if if Mr. Trump has nothing to hide on this. He he would really be well served by saying, investigate away. We're going to cooperate fully. Uh, we want all the facts out because uh, otherwise he's going to have this uh, cloud hanging over his presidency. And uh, I think it's in his interest as well as the country's to to get to the bottom of this as soon as possible. But I think it's I think it's probably physically impossible to get to the bottom of something as complex as a as uh, you know contacts but with foreign citizens in in eight days i i think that's unrealistic and fair to say that you and, and other other democrats on the committee at least will be pushing to make sure that the investigation stays alive you're going to insist on anything that's being developed not just go away with the, the ha handover of uh, administrations don't don't forget I, i'm an independent i caucus with the democrats right, of course what that means is i have lunch with them on tuesdays uh, <laughs> And you sit uh, over on their side of the aisle, to be fair. I, sure. do, I do sit over on their side of the aisle, and, and you've got to join a caucus around here in order to get your committee assignment. But, but yeah, I'm certainly not. I mean, uh, I, I am not putting credence in these various reports that are swirling around. They're unsubstantiated. They're pretty spectacular and sensational. Uh, I have purposefully not read them, read this stuff that's come out in the last couple of days, Uh but I do think allegations particularly of, of, of contact between uh, the Trump campaign and the Russians is 
potentially uh, grave and serious and has to be uh, has to be run down. Now, once we get to the bottom of it, what happens then? I think uh, uh, nobody knows. This nothing like this has ever happened before. Okay, so you're an independent. You've had a chance to to meet several of these nominees, hear some testimony. Quickly, uh, are you inclined to support? I'm going to go through three here, and you tell me you see red flags or, or, or you know, you're you're leaning towards supporting Jeff Sessions. That's a very tough one. Uh, I know Jeff. I've worked with him for four years. Uh, he and I are on a couple of committees together, uh, but I do have some serious concerns about uh, his position on immigration, his position on uh, the Voting Rights Act, violence against women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think, again, it sort of goes back to what I was just saying. Uh, let's be honest, President-elect Trump doesn't have a lot of experience in government. He doesn't have a lot of experience with, with uh, uh, public policy, with uh, foreign policy. He's going to need people around him who are, uh, who are willing to buck him, who are willing to say, boss, this, this just isn't the way it works, and right. it, we, this is not something we can really do. That I'm a little worried about Jeff in that regard because he's close to Trump, and he was one of the first people to endorse him, and so Okay, what about uh, Rex Tillerson or somebody who doesn't, who does not have a relationship, a prior relationship yeah, with Trump? Uh, that's a, that's another one. I, I went to his hearing yesterday. I met with Bob Gates, who's very supportive, who's one of the most respectable people in the country. He's very supportive of Mr. Tillerson. I went to his hearing. Um, I, I have to admit that there were some things that he, he said that really sort of bothered me. He totally... I thought failed to answer Tim Kaine's questions about the position of Exxon Mobil on climate change and uh, whether they were taking public positions that they knew were incorrect based upon internal science that they had. Uh, that bothered me. Uh, at one point, he said he'd never lobbied on sanctions, and later I talked to people who said they knew that he had. And uh, you know, there may have been a, a, a semantic difference there, but. I'm I'm not convinced. I'm a I'm a uh, I'm I'm still waiting to be convinced on him. I, I have to tell you, I went into the hearing ready to to be supportive, uh, uh, but I came out still in doubt. I, I'm not on the Foreign Relations Committee. I just sat in the audience and, and listened uh, for two or three hours. I don't know, a couple of hours, uh, but I I wasn't. I, I, I was not convinced in that hearing. So before we let you go, we've got to ask you about a, 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 an issue that's been bubbling up with a, a very famous company in your home state, L.L. Bean. Of course, there was a, a, an heiress to the L.L. Bean fortune, some part of the family that, uh, that, that decided to become a big donor to Donald Trump. It started the boycott campaign. Donald Trump was on, uh, was on Twitter urging people to, to frequent L.L. Bean in, in light of that. So bottom line, should people buy duck boots or not from L.L. Bean? Ab- absolutely, because they're made by good people in Maine, and they shouldn't be collateral damage in, in some political fight. Linda Bean, I, I, I've known for ages, uh, she's very conservative. She's been involved in conservative politics for 30 or 40 years. The company, on the other hand, is totally non-political. They've been great citizens of Maine. And they have wonderful people that work with them. And if you don't buy L.L. Bean boots, you're not punishing Linda Bean. You're punishing uh, a guy in Brunswick, Maine, whose job it is to make those boots. Okay, I think we can all agree, let's not boycott uh, L.L. Bean duck boots. Okay? I've got two pair at home. All right. I'm, I'm, all right. I'm good. I mean, in that, in that lifetime <laughs> guarantee, I mean, you, you just, let's, let's not criticize L.L. Bean, all right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you guys are great Americans. I've said it all along. <laughs> all right, Senator Angus King of Maine, thank you for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for the question. See you, you later. Bet.
Right, so there you go. I mean, Rick, really. I mean, L.L. Bean. That's, that's like apple pie. Damage. I mean, give me a break. You know? damage, but and I love the L.L. Bean, the main store up in Maine. It's a great place to kind of go on a pilgrimage. Really. Oh, I mean, wow. It's, it's a, have you ever been? I have not. Oh, no. you. Come on. I mean, it's, it, this, is, this is the way that President-elect and soon to be President Trump's going to work, though. If you're, if you're his friend, he'll tell you, go buy your boots there. If you're your enemy, he'll say boycott. We haven't seen this before. No, this it's is, true. But we have seen presidents and presidential candidates praise L.L. Bean. Well, do I you mean, think, we have. Do we you have. think that Donald J. Trump owns duck boots? This is the pressing question. I've never seen him wear duck boots. Um, I don't, he doesn't strike me as a guy who has a lot of L.L. Bean products. I bet I bet Don Jr.'s got a pair of dogs. I guess it's good, good hunting equipment, right? I bet yeah. he's got some L.L. Bean stuff, yes. There you go. And maybe Eric as well. <laughs> I like all that. right. Well, that's all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Uh, Rick, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're counting down. I mean, we're going to have one more show before Donald Trump is sworn in as the President of the United States. Thank you for listening. You know where to find us, iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. Find us, subscribe, give us a good rating. And listen to all our other uh, awesome ABC News podcasts. But but if you have only time for one, yeah. make it ours. <laughs> all right, thank you. We'll see you next week.